I'm Lauren Sherman, the writer behind Puck's fashion and beauty memo line sheet. And I'd like to welcome you to my new show, Fashion People. On every episode of Fashion People, I'll be talking to insiders about the stuff we're all whispering between the press releases. From M&A rumors to celebrity stylist dish to the future of legacy media. Be sure to follow and listen to Fashion People, a presentation of Odyssey in partnership with Puck. Available on the free Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, we're going to be talking a lot about sexual violence in this series. There's also some language. If either of those things are upsetting for you, please take care while you're listening. It was August 2018, and I was slipping into a hot, stuffy subway car when I got this call on my cell phone. The caller ID gave a name. Axiom. It was weird. But then a lot of weird things had been happening around me since I started reporting on a whole lot of women's allegations against the movie mogul Harvey Weinstein. I'd gotten strange texts and emails, I'd seen suspicious cars parked outside of my apartment. Sources had told me to get a gun, and I'd moved out of my home. The point is, it was getting to me. I ignored the call, but a little later, I got this text from the same number. It said, I'm trying to reach you directly and privately. It's regarding a fry pan that's scratch-resistant. Sometimes I cook, and the black coating scares me. I knew exactly what it meant. In October 2017, The New Yorker started publishing my reporting on Harvey Weinstein, containing the first rape and sexual assault allegations against him. A New Yorker story published yesterday included a recording from a New York police sting operation in 2015. Weinstein is heard trying to lure... Then I published this story called Army of Spies, about how Weinstein had hired a private intelligence agency called Black Cube. It's a firm based in Tel Aviv, and it's run by former Mossad agents. It specializes in deception, secret agents, false identities, front companies... I'd uncovered all these contracts and documents that proved, beyond doubt, that Weinstein had hired Black Cube to gather intelligence on sources and on reporters, including me. But I still didn't know how far the surveillance went. Black Cube had always denied following any journalists. After the article, I came across this photo of a frying pan coincidentally marketed under the brand name Black Cube. I thought it was funny, so I posted it on Instagram with the caption, scratch-resistant, may use false identities and shell companies to extract information. So whoever was messaging me, they seemed to know something about Black Cube. The intelligence firm, not the frying pan. And they seemed worried. So I messaged back, can you say more about who you are? And this person responded, I can say I do surveillance. We will need to meet discreetly and make sure we are not followed. What happened next felt like I was in a John le Carré novel or something. We agreed to meet at a Brazilian restaurant in Manhattan. But when I got there, this person didn't show. Instead, my phone rang. The caller ID said Axiom again. It was a man with what sounded like it might be a Russian accent. 
he told me what I was wearing and said he needed to make sure that we weren't being followed. He instructed me to leave the restaurant, walk against traffic for several blocks, and then sit down in the back of a different restaurant. That was when I first met Igor Ostrovsky, a private investigator who'd been following me, watching me, for weeks. This guy. I didn't think I was going to be followed, but I thought you might be. So just in case, we had to take some steps to avoid being seen together. We ended up in the basement of a restaurant, which I know conveniently has like no cell service. From Pineapple Street Studios, this is the Catch and Kill podcast. I'm Ronan Farrow. Soon after the New York Times and the New Yorker reported on the allegations about Weinstein, New York prosecutors indicted him on charges of rape and sexual assault. He's now awaiting trial. He's denied all allegations of non-consensual sex. My new book, Catch and Kill, chronicles my investigations into the systems that shield influential men in Hollywood, Washington, and beyond. Writing the book, I kept thinking about the people I met during my reporting, the sources who brought the story to light, and the operatives who tried to suppress it, the whistleblowers and survivors and spies and journalists. Each is complicated in their own way. Many of them face difficult, even life-altering decisions. This podcast is about those people and giving you a chance to hear their stories in their own words. People like Igor Ostrovsky, the private investigator who tailed me. Scotch is good. Single malt scotch is good. Uh, we've been overdue for a drink. We've got a lot to talk about. A little overdue? I might say too much. <laughs> so obviously Igor's from Australia. We don't need to wear the headphones. Kidding. He's from Ukraine. Born there in the 80s. Oh, yeah, yeah. The Soviet Union was disintegrating around him. Lots of global turmoil. But he was just a kid. Our common thing to do when I was like eight years old was to burn things, blow things up. Soviet entertainment for kids. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> we used to break into things. We had this, this thing, basically like a smoke bomb. But we're not talking about like smoke bombs you buy in a grocery store over here, or not even the ones you buy in Pennsylvania. We're talking about like fill this whole building with smoke. He goofed off a lot, but it was mostly harmless. And that was important to Igor. He's a guy who always had this really strong sense of what's okay and what's not. So it's okay to do stupid things, to have fun, but I guess at a point where it could hurt somebody besides you and permanently, it becomes an issue. Igor was 10 years old when his family came to the U.S. as part of a program that resettled Jewish refugees in America. He had trouble making friends, sometimes compounded by that sense of right and wrong. Like the time during high school in New Jersey when he learned that several classmates were involved in a little light credit card fraud. There was this one guy, Johnny. Johnny worked in a, in a, in a store that sold tools. He would steal the credit card numbers of the customers and sell them to my friends, right? So they sent this guy who just graduated high school to threaten me. He said, listen, you know, if anything happens to this guy, if he gets caught, you're fucked. I decided that, you know, if I'm going to be threatened, it might as well be worth it. Uh, so, you know, I just kind of helped them to stop doing what they're doing. What did you do? <laughs> I, I called the FBI because I thought the FBI takes care of everything. You're like how old at this point? Sophomore year. So 
14, probably 15. 15. Yeah, 15. Right. And I thought the FBI, you call them and it's like, you know, like Superman. They just come down from the sky and fix everything. You know, I, I gave all of their names, their addresses, and the credit card numbers that they were using. So they were like monitoring this from the start of the purchase to like the UPS delivery. <laughs> You're a narc. <laughs> Very slightly. <laughs> Only I, in very unethical situations. <laughs> well, I just, I didn't like that somebody was messing with me, you know? Yeah. I knew that either you got to get a big stick or you win by being smart. And, you know, if they want to threaten me, I'm not going to be able to stand up to them in a fight. So I'm going to just be smart. As smart as Igor was, when he graduated, he didn't have much of a plan. You know, some time passed. For years, to be exact. What he calls his limbo. He held down odd jobs. I went to deliver pizza. Eventually, he learned that a friend had an uncle who was a private investigator. And he basically talked his way into a job. It was pretty mundane work. Like he'd go undercover in warehouses to find out who was stealing stuff. So they would plant me into a warehouse, and I would just become one of the employees. Igor says that's mostly what he was up to for the first several years of his career. Then, in 2011, he came into contact with the guy who would eventually give him the wildest job of his life, Roman Hyken. So talk to me about meeting Roman Hyken for the first time. I don't know why, but I had this feeling like I should find someone who's, you know, part of my culture. Like, it'll be easier to get along with, with someone in my culture. So I googled Russian private investigators. One of three guys that I found in, in Brooklyn was this guy, Roman Haken. I'm not your typical investigator. I'm the guy out in the field, the action taker. My name is Roman Haken, and I'm the founder of InfoTactic Group. Roman Haken ran an outfit called InfoTactic. InfoTactic Group handles spousal investigations, intellectual property cases, insurance investigations, child custody cases, background checks, and skip tracing. It was a pretty small-time operation. Most of the workers were part-time. It is true Haken had occasionally worked for a high-profile client, like the designer Christian Louboutin hired him once to go undercover and see who was knocking off those red-soled shoes. When I was young and I first learned how to read, I would fascinate my parents with my ability to memorize the text of my favorite book, Sherlock Holmes. In, in general, he's a good guy. He likes sailing, so he, he goes sailing a couple times a year. I figured, oh, well, I should call Roman and see what he's up to. Igor and Hyken got along, and Hyken had a lot he could teach Igor. Roman taught me how to do surveillance, how to drive for surveillance, how to blend in. He taught me little tricks, you know, how to make this job fun. A lot of people can't figure out where to find a bathroom in New York. And we're talking about clean bathrooms, not like the bathroom <laughs> at Union Square in the subway, you know. <laughs> like, like that bathroom I wouldn't even walk near. But where do you find a clean bathroom in the city, right? In every high-priced restaurant, there's a clean bathroom. In every high-end hotel, there's a clean bathroom. You walk in, you walk up to the bar, and you ask the bartender, where can I wash my hands? And uh, what are your drink specials? He goes to get you the drink specials, he puts the menu down in front of you, and he directs you where to wash your hands, you use the bathroom, and you just leave. Roman taught me that. 
It was always fun. Every day working with Roman was fun because if something was happening, it was just action, 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 action. And if nothing was happening, we were watching comedy videos on YouTube. Igor and Heiken worked together for years, on and off, doing this kind of basic PI work. Which brings us to late 2016, just as I started to follow the clues that would lead to my story on Harvey Weinstein. Igor called Heiken to see if he had any new jobs lined up. Heiken said they should talk. So we met in Brooklyn on Coney Island, and um, he told me he's into some new stuff. Uh, he has a new client that, like, he wouldn't tell me who it was, which I thought was normal because we wouldn't tell each other who our clients are because in this industry, everyone steals clients. Sure. Or, or that's the, the mood. So I understood that he might not want to just openly tell me what he's working on. And... Then in the course of that conversation, was it you that raised the idea of maybe being a part of this work for this mysterious new client? Well, I told him. I told him straight up. I said, look, if you need help, call me. Turns out, Heiken did need help. Many of these new jobs involved what's called counter-surveillance. Igor was supposed to secretly follow operatives to equally secret meetings. Operatives sent by that mystery client. The goal was to make sure nobody else was following them. I know, lots of secrets, lots of following. From the very beginning, nothing about these jobs seemed normal to Igor. He was told almost nothing about them beforehand, but he was picking up on clues as he went. So they're always in fancy hotels or fancy restaurants, and uh, there's a couple of players that I already learned. These are the agents of the client. Yeah, like the the heavyset blonde lady with glasses, or this guy that's called the Spaniard. I don't know why, I guess he's from Spain. I, I was very curious. I mean, the more you tell me that I can't know, <laughs> right. the more curious I get. I realized that something is going on that's a little iffy. I just had an inkling that I should be documenting everything. And then in July 2017, Igor got an assignment that just felt off to him. I get a call like, hey, we got a, we got a job tomorrow in Brooklyn, gotta go. And Roman says it's a New York Times reporter. And I'm like, all right, that's weird. After the break, Igor tails some journalists. Quoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. Welcome back. One thing I've realized through my reporting over the last few years that frankly kind of freaked me out is just how big private intelligence is. There's kind of this global industry. It's like checkbook surveillance. John Scott Railton is a senior researcher for a group called the Citizen Lab at the University of Toronto. They investigate the tactics used to silence journalists and dissidents, tactics including various forms of private espionage and surveillance, all of which has become something of a booming business. You can go to a kind of a global marketplace and find a company that will sell you a kit 
to kind of do whatever you want. It's like NSA in a box. The problem is that many of the players that can pay for it can't possibly hold themselves accountable and can't possibly resist the temptation to abuse it. And if you look at the people who are targeted, for example, Javier Valdez, a Mexican journalist investigating cartels, was assassinated. He was pulled from his car and filled with bullets. Is it fair to say journalists are being hunted? Journalists are like one of the largest slices of the pie of victims. And we think that this is the kind of tool that you use to find, fix, and finish journalists. In 2017, Igor Ostrovsky was suddenly thrust into that increasingly sophisticated world of journalist hunting. His boss, Roman Heiken, started sending him assignments to follow reporters digging into the allegations against Harvey Weinstein. They briefly followed Jody Cantor of the New York Times. I knew at this point that the goal was to isolate and identify Jody Cantor's sources if she meets with any. You know, I, I used to read the New York Times when I was little. You know, in high school, I used to go to the library before school and um, just look at the New York Times. And I thought it was good. And I, I think the motto is awesome, you know, all the news that's fit to print. So when we were following Jody Cantor, I thought probably a little bit iffy on the moral side. And then we were following, you know, we're supposed to follow you. It felt to Igor like increasingly the mystery client was turning its focus away from the Times and toward me and my reporting. So we ended up hanging out in front of your building a couple of times. Um, ended up seeing your super a lot. He's uh, outside a lot. Yeah, yeah, he's outside and, uh, and uh, ended up getting a bagel around the corner. Actually, just passed by there. I it's a take lovely a, neighborhood. I wanted to take a picture and send it to you. I was like, yeah, this is the bagel shop. The aim appeared to be to figure out what was happening to my reporting. From the beginning, the intensity was there. Roman was more stressed. Uh, we were like kind of going over things. Like, how are we going to control the situation? If he goes this way, what are we doing? Okay, if he goes that way, if he gets a cab. Well, if he gets in a cab, jump on the fucking hood so I have time to get around the block and then you're burned, but, you know, make the cab stay. Maybe if we do that, then you're going to think something's crazy going on, so you're going to jump out of the cab. if you jump on the hood, I'm going to notice. But but we're, we're going over all these possibilities. It's more important to get this one right. At times, the operation could be a little hapless. They even spent some time following a neighbor who kind of looked like me. But I'll be honest, it was also scary. Growing increasingly convinced I was being followed, hearing from those sources who said I needed to be armed, eventually putting my reporting materials in a safe deposit box at the bank. And the operation was getting more intrusive and sophisticated. So on the last day when we had to follow you, I get a call early, early on. Roman tells me that he's going to try to find out where you are. And I asked how, and he said that he's going to do the geolocation thing with the phone. Heiken told Igor that he was using a new technology, an expensive one, that would allow you to track someone by essentially pinging their cell phone. Roman told me that it's called weather alerts, and I asked why is it weather alerts, and he said, well, it, it works great. You send someone a text message, do you want weather alerts? If you want, press yes. If you don't want, reply no. And once they reply yes or no, we get the location. And I was like, that's brilliant. Whether they want it or not, they still get it. <laughs> well, 
As it turns out, at this very same time, my phone gets a barrage of hundreds and hundreds of texts that are not asking for alerts on the weather, which I had also gotten, but asking if I wanted to participate in a survey on politics. Yeah, I mean, you know, politics for you, weather alerts for Joe, <laughs> sports alerts for somebody else. It's interesting because I, I did get both. That day, I'm actually headed to my very first meeting at The New Yorker, and it sounds like as that's happening, you start getting maps that show you exactly that. I look at it, there's a pin drop. I know it's on the West Side Highway by World Trade, by where the Goldman Sachs building is, and Roman comes to meet me. And we get some more information that you're like in that area, but we can't figure out exactly where you are. So what's going through your mind as these tactics escalate? At this point, I was already like, all right, we got to figure out what's going on because might have to, you know, might have to take some actions because it looks like something I believe in is being possibly attacked. So in November 2017, I finally published my reporting on Black Cube and what it had done to track sources and reporters on Harvey Weinstein's we behalf. to the Harvey Weinstein story and new revelations about the great lengths he allegedly went to in order to quash stories. Farrell alleges Weinstein hired elite private security agencies, at least one of which deployed undercover agents. The ultimate aim of this was to kill stories by Farrow, also the New York Times and other news outlets. Igor read that article. It was the first time he had heard of Black Cube. But the operation sounded familiar. I saw your article in the New Yorker, and I call Rome and I'm like, listen, this is clear who we're working for. And this is clear that this is what they were trying to do, because this is like the story about us without mentioning our tactics or our names directly. Because the, the targets that I described Black Cube having in that article were also your targets. Right. Something like that. We'll, we'll leave it at that. <laughs> Igor's suspicions were right. The mysterious client that had hired Roman Heiken as a subcontractor was Black Cube. This, it turned out, is how Black Cube operates in cities across the globe, hiring PIs with local licenses to provide legal cover and a better lay of the land. The realization didn't sit well with Igor. Remember, as he put it, it's okay to do something stupid until it hurts someone else. When I read it, I said... This is horrible, you know. And this guy is doing this systematically. There's no way I'm going to continue to be part of this. Like, there's no way I'm going to walk away from this situation knowing that I'm helping someone suppress the truth, suppress the press, and to get away from taking responsibility for these actions. Igor decided he had to expose the operation. He tried law enforcement first. I called around and I couldn't get anywhere. I called somebody who put me in touch with a with an agent at Homeland Security Investigations. They said that I need a lawyer. I called a lawyer. The lawyer wanted money. And I was like, listen, I'm an American. I live paycheck to paycheck. I'm trying to be a patriotic American here. Just what is this? <laughs> money? You know, I'm patriotic, but only if I could afford it. So I thought, you know, again, like from my childhood, call the FBI, they'll solve everything. And then eventually, like, I get to a person who's not even an FBI agent, it's just like an idiot, who like, just like a college, like a summer intern or something, 
doing phones. So 45 minutes later, a guy picks up who's clearly like a washed up guy who has this like shitty job of having to talk to people who think that they're, you know, there's UFOs or whatever. And I'm, and I'm telling him, I'm like, look, there's a foreign private intelligence agency acting in New York, possibly in other states, possibly doing things against the United States. I don't know, but it's like I'm involved in this. And he goes, so what do you do? I said, I do surveillance. He goes, so what's, what's illegal? I said, I don't know. I'm not an FBI agent. I'm not a lawyer. Shouldn't you know what's <laughs> illegal? I, I said, I'm telling you this thing is going on. He goes, nothing illegal. Click. He and hung I, up on you. He hung up on me. Um, so when, when this guy hung up on me, I said, all right, well, if I can't get the government involved, at least I can help this guy. And at least I should let him know that this is what's happening. I just felt like, okay, I can go to you. And that's when I got that call from Axiom, which, of course, turned out to be Igor, and how we wound up sitting opposite each other in the basement of a Midtown restaurant. Tell me about that first meeting and how you felt about that? Just wanted to be cautious. I felt nervous. I thought that me and you just are going to have a conversation <laughs> and that's it. And then, you know, I never thought that I'm going to tell you my name. I never thought that I'm going to, you know, tell you my name that you can print it. I just thought that I was going to say, hey, Ronan, you know, your suspicions are confirmed. Nice to meet you. <laughs> Good luck. But Igor showed me photos he'd taken while following me. My street, my front door, my superintendent. It was a huge risk for him. I could see it in his face. You seemed freaked out. You seemed frightened that you were going to get apprehended, that someone was maybe going to come after you. And yet you really wanted to do this. So I didn't know if, you know, they're going to come after me, if my name comes out, if I have to worry about getting ran over the road into a ditch or... Uh, you know, some kind of freak accident. I, I just, you know, I was a little bit worried, so I didn't want my name out there. But I thought that if I allow this to happen and I walk away and I don't do anything, then I'm complicit in allowing the media, the way of life I believe in, to be attacked and to be changed. And that could be irreversible. In January 2019... Igor heads out on what winds up being the last of his jobs for Black Cube. He and I were in regular touch by then. Igor and his boss, Heiken, were told to run counter-surveillance during a meeting at the Peninsula Hotel in Midtown Manhattan. A Black Cube agent was trying to gather information on a watchdog group. Igor was supposed to take photos of the employee of that watchdog group and drive a getaway car if the operation got busted and the agent needed to get out. So, they get to the hotel, and Igor sits at the bar. He orders a plate of cheese. He looks over to where the black cube agent is sitting. I see a guy with a, like a news camera, <laughs> and another guy with bushy hair, and I'm like, I'll just keep having more cheese here. And sitting across from this agent is John Scott Railton, that researcher I spoke with earlier from the Citizen Lab at the University of Toronto. Not too far into the conversation, there's a guy who sits down at a table in my sight line and uh, is sort of holding his cell phone up at me while kind of consulting the menu with, uh, with one hand. And I'm like, man, this guy's just recording me on his cell phone. So while Igor was watching, this black cube agent 
was pumping Railton for incriminating statements, trying to get him, for instance, to say all sorts of anti-Semitic things. He's got this uh, pen in his hand, and at various times placed on the desk, and it's just a very strange way to hold a pen. He's sort of holding it like a, like a gear shift stick or something like that, and then at various times he's kind of holding it at me. Railton believes the pen was a recording device and that the agent was trying to capture him making statements that could be used against Citizen Lab. But Railton was also secretly recording, and he had brought along a reporter and a camera person from the Associated Press. All of this was news to Igor. Clearly the guy who had the meeting with the black cube operative brought them here. So this was set up. This is not something that we missed. This is something that was pre-planned, and they clearly planned better than we were prepared to counter. This is when the meeting becomes, to quote Igor, a total shit show. The AP journalist, a very good reporter named Raphael Satter, starts hammering the agent with questions. The agent tries to hide and then run away. Hyken is calling and shouting that they've been burned and they need to get this guy out of there. Eventually, Igor winds up reuniting with the agent and driving him around to lose potential tails, and the agent makes his way to the airport. So, that group Black Cube seemed to be spying on? Citizen Lab. Remember, they had been following the way surveillance tactics get deployed against journalists. I just want to pause for a moment here and and make a point. This is bigger than what was happening to me. This is bigger than Harvey Weinstein. This is something that has huge global implications. Citizen Lab's most recent investigation was into an Israeli cyber firm called NSO Group. NSO's flagship product is something called Pegasus, which is a suite of technology that enables its user to reach out and hack a telephone without any interaction from the phone's owner and turn that phone into basically a spy in your pocket. It can listen to what's happening in the room around you. Obviously, it can snoop on your calls, siphon off your messages, and your personal photographs. Many of the Black Cube agents' questions to Railton had been about Citizen Lab's investigation into NSO Group, and particularly the revelation that its software may have been used to target Jamal Khashoggi, the journalist who was murdered by Saudi agents. So we had found that one of Jamal Khashoggi's close contacts who was living in Canada was targeted with Pegasus, and we think infected as well, which is pretty explosive because this guy had been in close contact with Jamal during the period right before he was assassinated. And this obviously was a black eye for NSO Group and for the Saudi government. Turns out, after its work with Harvey Weinstein, Black Cube was sending its agents to meet with tech experts critical of NSO Group and its software, people who argued that that software was being used to hunt and sometimes kill journalists. NSO, for the record, denies hiring Black Cube, and it says its software is sold to governments and other entities that want to catch criminals, not journalists. But what's clear here is that there is an entire system of international espionage and hacking targeting journalists and researchers. That is still going strong to this day. After the failed operation with Citizen Lab, Black Cube ordered everyone involved to take lie detector tests. Roman tells me, listen, no drugs, no alcohol tonight. 
you're getting polygraphed tomorrow. And I go, you know me, I don't drink. I never done drugs in my life, so it's not a problem. And meanwhile, my hands are like trembling. If he took that test, Igor felt sure that they were going to discover that he'd been talking to me. So he said he wouldn't do it. And shortly thereafter, Hyken stopped offering him jobs, and they drifted apart. We reached out to Roman Hyken's attorney and a representative for Harvey Weinstein for this podcast, but did not get a response. Hyken's attorney initially confirmed details presented to him in a fact-checking call for the book, but then suggested that the information was false or fabricated, without offering specifics. Igor knew that prosecutors in New York were, in the wake of my reporting, investigating Black Cube. Sources close to the agency's operations for Weinstein said they ran all their activities by lawyers and that any cell phone tracking was undertaken without their knowledge. In any case, Igor got a whistleblower attorney and began the process of volunteering to help prosecutors if they needed it. And he decided to go on the record in my book. He says he's glad to have come forward, to have a part in defending something he believes in, to stand up to the increasingly elaborate machine that ensnares journalists around the world. If I had any doubt, I would have never came to meet you. I believe in what you're doing. I believe in you, and that's why we're here. Maybe we don't have to say that I'm a hero, like, anymore. Well, maybe I'll try to it's avoid like, the It's H like when, you, when you say it, I'm like, <laughs> how do heroes sit? Am I arching my back? The Catch and Kill podcast is a production of Pineapple Street Studios. It was produced by me, Ronan Farrow, with Sophie Bridges, Sharina Ong, Janelle Pfeiffer, Unjin Lee, and Laura Dodd. Our senior producer is Eric Menel. Editing by Joel Lovell. The executive producers at Pineapple Street are Jenna Weiss-Berman and Max Linsky. Production help from Emily Becker, Maddie Sprung-Kaiser, Noor Ibrahim, and Alex Petroskovich. Fact-checking by Sean Lavery. Mixing by Hannes Brown. Music in the episode from Blue Dot Sessions, Marmoset, and Firstcom. On the next episode, we go inside 30 Rockefeller Plaza, where my producer and I were recording our conversations in real time as NBC killed our initial reporting on Harvey Weinstein. He's just going to try to find ways to, to sabotage it. I know, which he's going to probably do anyway. Um, shit. This all, of course, is based on reporting I did for my book, Catch and Kill, which is available wherever you buy books. Thanks for listening. We'll be back next week.